Welcome to Behind the Product, a podcast by SEP, where we believe it takes more than a great idea to make a great product. We've been around for over 30 years, building software that matters more. And we've set out to explore the people, practices, and philosophies to try and capture what's behind great software products. So join us on this journey of conversation with the folks that bring ideas to life. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Zach Darnell. This show, we're diving into a bit of a different kind of product company. Hamilton is an indie-based event marketing agency, and they've been around for 75 years. I sat down with their director of marketing, Courtney Soyce, and digital engagement strategist, Ben Cleland. What I found most fun about my chat with these two is how Hamilton has grown their digital services over time and what it really takes to pivot into building a new digital product in the midst of COVID, especially when their primary business model relies on in-person trade shows. I had the pleasure of visiting their offices and seeing their physical products as well, and it was a lot of fun to see these two worlds come together. And before we dive in, my hope is that this show is fun and helpful, and I have a quick favor to ask. If you're enjoying our show and know someone who might find it helpful or interesting, would you consider sharing it with them? I'd really appreciate it. All right, enough with the selfish plugs. Hope you enjoy. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about Hamilton, Hamilton Exhibits. You gave me the proper name Hamilton. when I came to meet with you. No, 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 sorry. The, like, uh, market description. Ah, uh, yes. Digital marketing services? No, it's I not. I would say we create immersive brand experiences. There we go. Bam. Yeah. That's that's going in the show. Like Everyone it. just heard exactly how to classify Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So I had a blast kind of walking through you guys' office. And checking out all of the, uh, I'm going to say, you called it like a staging area. Gallery. Gallery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the back warehouse where all the other fun magic happens Mm -hmm. and learning a little bit about the business. And I thought, well, we'll just, we'll just kind of talk a little bit about all of those things. And especially when I talk about some of the digital products you guys have built, because that's fun. And that's what we do here. We build software. But I love that there's a digital component to your business as well as a physical component. Mm -hmm. And What's interesting about that is that a lot of our customers over the last 35 years got their roots in atoms, right? They built engines, they built agricultural equipment, they built med devices, and then started to get into the bits of the world and developing software, whether it was a companion app or a consumer app, a way for them to help do their business, whatever it might be. And that's usually where we came to play. And so kind of meeting those two worlds, which is why I thought this would be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You guys kind of do a little bit of both. Yeah. Yep. And it's not even just software. There's event technologies that we'll, we'll yeah. dive into here in a minute. So, yeah, I'm excited. So really quick, just for anybody jumping into this that doesn't know much about Hamilton, talk a little bit about core product, core offering, and let's start there. Just yeah. set a little context. Yeah, Hamilton is an experiential and event marketing agency, full service. We're based in Indianapolis. We're founded in 1947, which means we are in oh, our man. yeah in oh. our 76th year. I didn't actually know that. Yeah, I didn't know it went back that far. We go way back. We actually got our start building floats for the Indy 500 parade and yeah. things. So I think I, I think I saw some snippets of mm-hmm. that when we were at the office. Yeah, we, we were, we're still celebrating that history yeah, now. There you go. And so we do everything from in-person, face-to-face marketing space. So that goes to exhibits, digital solutions, events, conferences, mobile tours, outdoor events, and really just supporting all of those 
face to face, but also face to face can go digital as well. So mm-hmm. making those one to one connections. That's really cool. And you guys just little humble brag. You guys just won a couple of awards here recently at the this is a little meta, the trade show for trade show exhibitors. Yes, exactly. Where that was like a trade show for other event marketing companies in the yes. trade show space. So it was infinity yes. mirror of sorts. There you go. Yeah. Very meta. We won best large booth, which was go. pretty much best in show for the whole thing. It was very exciting. So, uh, yeah. I don't think I've been to a trade show big enough to actually have experienced this, but you guys talked about like multi-story, like you actually build I'm going to say multi-story houses, but they're, yeah. they're not houses. But they're temporary. Yeah. They wouldn't, they wouldn't it's crazy stick up idea. against the elements. Someone made a joke to me <laughs> that I'm building a house in Carmel. And someone made the joke to me like, oh, you get it because you're in construction. Yeah. I was like, oh, these are temporary yeah, yeah. Uh, structures. Yeah. So not built forever. But we do things up to, you know, 150 by 150, two stories. Wow. And it can really run the gamut from something in the early six figures all the way up to $2 million, $3 million. Oh, my goodness. Talking like mini conference rooms upstairs with, you know, similar to here where you might have like a tablet outside the door for meeting room schedulers. Yeah, we've got those. Same kind of deal, but just in a, it's going to be up for three days. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's amazing to me. And you guys showed those to me when when I visited your your guys' facility. It's almost like adult Lincoln Logs. It seemed there was no tools needed. It was very pretty straightforward. Yeah, the caveat there, the ones that are double deckers, yes, those are a little more substantial. Little sure. they, okay. Those require tools. That's fair. But the ones that you know are going to be tall, but maybe a one technically a yeah. one story deal. It's made to be extremely modular and extremely easy to both assemble and disassemble on site okay. with no maybe a director, but no like previous knowledge. So okay. that helps us out depending on where where we are and who's helping us. Mm-hmm. So. It's fascinating to me that something like that can be put together, built and de- like used and deconstructed in such a short period of time. And it's not even just the, the physical nature of it. There's a lot of tech that goes into those things. The you know event technologies is one thing where it's, this I'm gonna butcher it, like a Frankenstein version of really industrialized off the shelf products that are kind of put together to meet some customer specs and then also some software. Right. Talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, similarly to how the booth structures get set up and have to be easy, it's like we're always thinking about the end user and the time frame. Mm. And so, like, we may be able to use it seamlessly because we look at it all the time, but we have to make sure that at the end of the day, when the show starts, the people that depend on this stuff understand how to use it and it's bulletproof easy, Mm. you know? And so that goes into our our overall thinking big time when it goes to the to the planning of everything. It's like almost I always look at it as the artificial Christmas tree type instructions, like red to red, <laughs> blue to blue, yeah. green to green. Like it's got to be easy or, you know, you, know, you run out of time because the show starts whether you're, you're ready, ready for it to yeah. or not. Yeah, no, that's fair. Well, you know, one of the things that I think is probably true for any professional services industry, and I think both of our businesses, I, I put in the professional services category to some degree. Mm-hmm. You've got customer expectations. They've got a dream or a vision for what they have in the mind. They probably can't really clearly articulate that. And it's probably bigger than their budget. And then you have hard timelines. A lot of times in software, there are soft timelines. It's, yes. it's not always hard. It's we would like to launch this thing in three months, but there's no reason why it couldn't be four. 
How do you guys wrestle with all of that? Talk to me about that process. And you know, we think we have some similar terms for that in discovery. Well, it is universally known. Like the show date is, is this date. And they, you know, the show organizers don't care whether you miss your deadline <laughs> or not. They're going to have the show. Yeah, CES and you, is going to happen at this, when they say period. it's going to happen no yeah. matter what. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, if you've just got a shower curtain around your booth space, that is what it is to them. So it's kind of universally known that those sort of dead, hard deadlines exist. And then... Then you start working backwards from that. Mm. And it's like, okay, well, how long does it, CES, for instance, out in Vegas. Okay, how long does it take stuff to physically roll out to Vegas on trucks? Oh, wow. got to work okay. back from that. Yeah, and, yeah. and then on top of that, it's like, okay, when we get to Vegas, what things are we going to pull first? Those need to be loaded onto the trucks last from right. Hamilton so that when we get to Vegas, those things come off the truck first it's all that sort of stuff yeah. and that goes into the technology part of it too because like the technology stuff is typically the last thing that goes up the boost structure is all there and then in the 11th hour the tech gets put up and tested so it's the last thing but yeah exactly. it's got to work ahead of time because you don't have any time to troubleshoot so <laughs> we have to get QA, there. QA all of it before we depart for the show just right. to make sure that it all works but that doesn't still means that once you have to do the again setup on site and loading the content testing it and processing it right before the show opens and it is the last thing wow there is sort of like courtney and i were talking about like personality traits and and like yes. there's a certain personality <laughs> trait like about you know people that work in the events business just understand that you're not going to leave until it's done and complete and that might mean a long night, like sometimes, like oh, yeah. if well, you say eleventh hour, I'm thinking three a.m. Probably it could, it could be, it could yeah. be, it has been. Uh, we try not <laughs> to let that happen, but it happens. And you know, the fact is, you just stay, and you even get to, you know, the benefit you get, the silver lining is, you get to see all that some of the other show magic that happens. Like you always wonder, like where does the aisle carpet come from? When I leave, <laughs> it's cement floor. When I get back the next day, the aisle carpet's in. And sometimes you're up late enough to see that. Happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's fair. The illusion of magic goes away when you're when you're there at 3 a.m. Yeah, and the personality type of being very calm in the face of utter oh, chaos yeah. and oh, pres time pressure. So you really have to kind of be calm because you want the client, the end user, to, to feel relaxed. That means you have to feel relaxed even when it's not so relaxing. Yeah. You are fretting over like, are we going to be able to pull this off? Yeah. Mm. But we always do. That's really cool. Thank you for show I think business. That, that paints. Hey, you know, I've never yeah. seen behind the curtain. Now want yeah. to start a new show. Behind the curtain of show We'll business. schedule our next thing at yeah. 3 a.m. on the trade show floor. Done. And you can come Just see record it. it for yeah. me. That'd be great. I don't know that I want to see it firsthand. I don't know. <laughs> I'll keep a little bit of the illusion up. So you talked about when, when I was out for the visit, you, you told me a story or at least some context around pulling hardware and technology from other industries and yeah. have adapting them. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. I even wrote some down here. I look at it as almost like pairings, mm -hmm. almost like, like food pairings. Like we do a lot of things where we'll pull a couple different things from different areas and put them together into something that functions the way we want. And like one example is a type of media player that we use. It comes straight out of the restaurant world mm. for menu boards they're designed to be on 24 7 in a harsh environment yeah greasy Gre and yeah. Hot and they're, yeah they're basically these solid state like bulletproof things that just if it's plugged in it's on if it's unplugged it's off oh wow and so provided you have power you're in good shape and we like that because a lot of things can go wrong on the show floor and so taking things out of play is good so we'll use one of those types of media players and then we'll pair that with 
some HTML5 application that we make. So the media player can play, you know, an HTML5 presentation or interactive. So you get the gestures, you get the interactivity of the HTML5 application, but you take the computer out of it mm-hmm. and you put it on a media player that doesn't fail very often. Yeah. And then the comfort level, especially for an event tech person, <laughs> goes way up because you, it's one less thing to have to worry about. There's no notifications. There's no updates that are going to happen. And it just works for us. So that's one pairing. Would you describe that as like, I don't mean to sound like almost like a dumb device? You're yeah, kind of like 100%. pulling out some of the bells and whistles that us consumers or maybe enterprise software folks might like. That's 100% what it is. Uh, like, and, that, and that's what we call it. Yeah. That's what we want is a dumb device that we can then tell it very specific things to do and more importantly, not tell it yeah. all these other things that we don't need it to do. Uh, um, and so, yeah, just for consistency, that's what we look for. And it, it all comes down to that, those tight timeframes and a tight window, even within the, the show days, tight windows of when things have to work. Like if the, the big wigs are in at this certain time, you can't have like four or five event techs squirming around, like, you know, uh, with their shirts untucked, trying yeah. to figure out how to make something work. It's got to work. Right. And so I guess you could say, you know, you get burnt a couple times in your life and then you start thinking hard about those sorts yeah. of things and try to prevent that. That's interesting. I cut you off. You had, you had a couple no. more stories there. No, I was just, I was thinking about, you know, taking more pairings like that, you know, where we might take some other digital signage platform and pair that with more of a a web-based application. And it's happening on the internet, it's happening on the cloud. That works too in a lot of instances, but there again, you know, we're we're in control of all of the interactivity that's happening there. And that just helps. And I would imagine these, I've been to conferences where the Wi-Fi, the internet connectivity is horrible. So you probably can't rely too heavily on on heavy web applications. It's one of these like running jokes that (laughs) the... We're, you know, we're so far technology-wise and the, the show internet will never be good. It's always bad. So we have to hardwire wherever we can, which mm. goes through the show. But you, we always try to make sure things that are web-based are, are into the hardwire internet because the Wi-Fi is never reliable. And you and they're usually mm. can be cut out for signals too. Chemistry reference. They got, you know, you've got limiting reagents in the trade show world. That's the Wi-Fi. That's yes. the house Wi-Fi. <laughs> it's like you, you can have the best idea in the entire world yeah. and like... It only works as well as your your Wi-Fi. And that little bit of Wi-Fi that you can get is expensive, like extremely expensive. We're talking like five-digit expensive? Well, yeah. We're talking like, let's see, a good example for three days, three megs, Mm -hmm. three megs of internet shared in a booth space, six grand. Stop it. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking about like my grandmother, my grandmother, you know, pays her Xfinity bill or whatever and has... You know, 100 meg, yeah. she doesn't know what to do with it. Um, <laughs> and we can't get three megs more than that shared on the show floor. So you have wow. to start thinking about what do your computers pull when they're yeah. not doing anything? Yeah, that's and a then, real constraint. And, and it's then, not just that. It's also showing consumer product. So you have, yeah. you have a show mm-hmm. that's about security and they have all these Wi-Fi enabled security cameras yeah, and right. technology that they want to demo. Yeah. They need Wi-Fi for that. Mm-hmm. So it's also about the client experience and making sure that their products can be showcased. Meaning oh, wow. even more so when we have digital solutions, our digital solutions are designed to complement the experience mm-hmm. and to really achieve whatever their goals are. If it's a 
product demo, if it's just more brand awareness, whatever that is, telling their story. But again, we can't pull away from that. Why fit the need so badly? Because often that is the priority is their own product demonstrations and those very tech-focused shows like security, like consumer technologies. We'll use what little we do have sometimes just for updating purposes, right? Right. We'll pull down something at an off time and then push that locally, you know, wow. if we need to, but it's getting better. I think like, honestly, we're talking, it's, it sounds all doom and gloom, but it's not that bad. It could be some, some clients. Yeah, that's right. It could be, it's been worse. Yeah. It's, it could be really bad. I mean, the first time I ever swiped a Hamilton credit card, like swipe the card, we had to put point to point internet on the roof of the new Orleans convention center for a client Oh wow! because their internet requirements were they needed like a hundred down no matter what. And we were like, cool, well, <laughs> the show hall can't do that. Yeah. Like it just, it's not possible. So we, in the spirit of customer getting, service, yeah, yeah. customer service and Get getting things done, done yeah. like we figured it out and we got a third party to come over and put a, put a little dish on the roof yeah. of the convention center, ran a cable down through the roof into our booth. I can't believe they let you do that. Uh, wow. If you've got the, if you'll pay for if you yeah, got the yeah, money you that can, you can do enough money. I just remember asking the client, cause I mean, the bill was big. I mean, oh, it was oh, like, oh, yeah. it was like around 45. Uh-huh. I've done some point to like point in, in a past life for, for three days. Yeah. I remember getting that quote and asking the client, like, like my second week at Hamilton, like, so are we sure that this is the, uh, <laughs> are we, are we sure we want to do this? This may be the first and last time I ever swiped this card. <laughs> it was all good. We got there and it just shows like, if there's a will, there's a way, yeah. you know, and time. I love that. That's a great story. So we spent a little time here talking about the end result. I want to back up to the starting point. So if I would imagine at least six months of heads up is mm-hmm. probably best, if not longer. And we talked about this often mismatch between desire and budget. So <laughs> what's that process look like for you guys? How do you start that engagement with a customer to start to craft and understand what it is that you guys want to, what they want to accomplish? Tell me a little bit about that early part of the process. It's okay to have real big ideas. We encourage that for a while. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, we encourage yeah. that. And then it starts to get down to like, really, what is the story? Yeah. Because there's a hundred ways you can tell a story or tell what their goals are. So it's really our job to kind of translate what mm-hmm. that is into nice ways to display that, you know? So we get into our sort of discovery mm-hmm. period and Courtney's more versed in that, but yeah. This discovery is a nice way of saying it's objective development. It's where we really mm. uncover what those end goals are. And then we try to work backwards from there. Objective development. I might objective steal that. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's really important for us to do that because they might have a vision of what they want, but does it match up with what they really want to achieve? Mm. And a big part of our job is connecting those two things. So this is... Uh a bunch of ideation. So we're going to diverge mm-hmm. for a little while. We're going to, Mr. Customer, we're going to, we're going to just going to dream. And we're going to start get, with inspiration. Yeah. Like, you, you know, know design mood inspiration, boards. mood boards. I'm sure. Things I saw like the that. wall of, I'm going to say textiles. That's the wrong word. The wall of samples, materials, materials, yeah, samples. Yeah, yeah, something. Mm-hmm. I'm, yep. I'm ignorant here. Um, <laughs> let's pull together the kind of the feel that we want to go with and how grand this wants to be. And then I would imagine at some point you got to converge and start really getting down, okay, well, this will cost you $10 million. This will cost you $2 million. This will be 200000 Yeah. And just start to nail them, you know, kind of focus them from there. The budget's usually set. 
before up front, up okay. front we, like, they would usually they have an idea of what it is. So yeah. once we know that we can really tailor whatever their vision is and whatever we decide is like kind of the best story to tell based on that budget, we can meet those budget parameters, but some of it can be limiting to what you want to achieve. Yeah. Digital more and more is an integral part of what we do because it's such a great way to tell a story for brand messaging. It makes even a small footprint. So maybe a space that's like a 10 by 10, 10 by 20, 20 by 20, adding digital elements, whether it be a large scale LED wall, whether it be a touch panel interactive, whether it be multi-taction table, it makes it more immersive. It makes it more enticing. Mm -hmm. It helps to attract booth traffic and it doesn't have to break the bank. So we really do use digital as a great element to elevate and add impact to any design. Yeah, but it's not just four walls of digital screens that's no. just gonna play content all the time. It's I, mixed in. I would advocate for that. All day? All day, every day, but usually, usually <laughs> it's kind of expensive, yeah, usually I imagine. Is. That can get yeah, expensive. Yeah, just right. a hair. Now I would imagine the production cost for the content alone would be rather expensive for that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So just like with any decently longer project, so I'm gonna say six months plus, Yeah. stuff's gonna come up in the midst. You're gonna learn something new, you would have had an expectation up front that maybe didn't manifest the way that you expected it to. How do you guys tend to work with your clients when you have to respond to change? What does that look like? We pride ourselves on being able to be nimble and pivot and be totally transparent in what we do. We also operate under the mantra of no surprises. That means that things can change, but everyone will be made aware of sure. it. Yeah. And because you have such hard deadlines, there's certain deadlines that can't adjust you know, we also often give our project management's huge. Yeah, so yeah. we'll give a time action calendar. These are our main milestone deadlines that we have to hit in order to do X. Everything from from the digital side to the production side to the, when our ship date is to loading, to install, to dismantle, to the return process as well. And there's often in the first timeline a little wiggle mm -hmm. room, a mm -hmm. little bit, a little bit. Yeah. So you might get buffer. that. Oh, you'll get the email of, okay, all right, this deadline isn't going to happen for us to to get these art files. What's a drop dead deadline? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then what's you maybe the have real to, deadline? What's the, what's the real one? <laughs> so they know, and they they want to get meet the first one too. So sometimes you have to go to those secondary deadlines, and yeah. but then you really don't have that much room after that. So mm. we always try to be able to be flexible and adjust and nimble, but also be totally transparent when it's no longer you're operating at risk. Yeah, and. Yep could affect the end product. Yeah. Like in the dev world, you know, you'll have sprints that you're yes. trying to do, right? It's gonna be my, like, my follow-up question, how yeah. do you wrestle with that? Well, yeah. so like we have, instead of sprints, we have these milestones that we sure. try to hit. They're usually a little longer than a sprint would be yeah. and fewer, but it's the same idea. During this amount of time, you're focused on these things. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, thinking about what the next one's going to be. Right. And that's how we work. And like she said, there's no surprises. So, you know, it makes things very transparent and clear and we're able to get by most, most hurdles that way. Oftentimes we focus on, you know, software products. Sometimes they have a hardware element to it, you know, parallel world a little bit to what you guys are describing. I feel like though with any software project, especially one that is six months or more, you're always responding to change mm -hmm. and it's, how do you not let 
what is it, the enemy of good be perfect mm-hmm. kind of thing, like getting over that hurdle and trying to work within the constraints that you've got and make educated decisions sometimes, make some assumptions and kind of move the ball forward is, I would imagine that you guys have to wrestle with some of this, especially when there is a, a software component to what you guys are adding into some of your customer builds. Like, how do you guys wrestle with that? Generally for me and what I do, the key thing is establishing what that story is from the, like at the beginning in discovery time, Mm -hmm. we get the spirit of the the spirit of the story. What is that? Okay. Then you start to ideate, how do we build something to showcase that? Yeah. But if that changes, if things change, if you run into hurdles or issues along the way, okay, then we go back to, okay, what is the spirit of the story? Now we may have to splinter off and go Mm -hmm. over here to, but the goal is to still tell that story. And most of the time, almost hundred percent of the time, that's the most important thing. Yeah. So if you have to switch a hardware component, you have to do this or that, that's not really the make or break. It's, can we still get our point across? Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. Cause it's, it's almost like I'm going to make a scenario. Our customer has a six month window. They've got X amount of budget and they've got a rough outcome that they're looking for, not necessarily an output mm-hmm. and keeping them focused on that outcome you can accomplish that a million ways in that six month period. But as long as at the end of the six months, we can convey that that story or that experience or that product, and, and mostly in our world, by moving levers within that six month period. We're gonna make this part of it a paved road. We're gonna make this part of it a gravel road. And we're gonna make this part of it a dirt road because this is less the value add as long as it functions. But this is the moneymaker. This paved road is the moneymaker. So we're gonna put most of our capital in that bucket. Yeah. That's really cool. There's a lot of overlap there. Yeah. And it's also, are we making things with all these that tell the story, Mm -hmm. but that can measure performance. So it's also about building metrics for measurement into everything that we create because we really need to, this is a trade show exhibit for a company. Just use that as one area that we, we work in is typically one of the biggest marketing spends that they do all year. Right. And that means that every year they need to, and maybe it's a whole program, maybe it's just a single kind of capstone event they do once a year, but that means that they need to prove the worth of that event year over year. Right. Show that ROI, show that ROO. Mm-hmm. And what we create, especially in the digital spaces, are great ways to to prove that. And other elements that we use to try to capture data, whether it's beacon technology capturing traffic analytics, mm-hmm. or it's lead capture technology, doing badge scans, yeah. or it's capturing points of interaction on a touch panel, any of those different things, we want to make sure that we're giving them really great data and insights so we can optimize moving forward post-show. That's great. And I would imagine if somebody spends, uh, again, I'm going to make up numbers, $10 million on a two-story, That'd be nice. 100 <laughs> foot by 100 foot uh, uh, yeah. have names. experience, <laughs> <laughs> Not, maybe, I don't know, we'll see. With the way that you guys are constructing these things, they could use them more than once. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. I would imagine yeah. that happens pretty frequently. Yes. I think that we try to make get the bang for buck for, for our clients always. Yeah. So what we do a lot of is custom rental, where there's custom elements and rental components together mm-hmm. so that you're getting the rental is just, you know, going to be like a rental fee that's much smaller percentage of the purchase price. Sure. And they can rent it for one show, which gives flexibility to change too, from show to show. Yeah. And that applies to the AV they're renting from us. It also applies to the structure mm-hmm. components and then still doing things that are custom so it can feel like it's theirs. true to the brand, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Because I would imagine 
a show like CES, right. you know, I've watched CES from afar for many years. You probably don't want to show up the same thing every year. But to Definitely mitigate not. some costs, you probably want to have some pieces that you can reuse or repurpose, maybe. Mm-hmm. And that's usually ha- what uh, we've had clients at CES, and that's usually what they do. They repurpose, okay. but they want to show up differently. Yeah, right. You got to stay. They got to keep up with the Joneses or whoever their competitive Joneses mm-hmm. are. Well, and part of that, too, is being able to build things in a modular way, too. Yeah, so if yeah, you've yeah. got your big Super Bowl show, that's a big footprint. You've got some structure that looks like this, but it's modular. So then two months from that, when they go to a smaller show and they've got a much smaller footprint, they can take an element of that bigger space and put it in their smaller space. It still feels similar to the other one. They retain some of that brand recognition and the look they're going for Mm -hmm. that program. And yet it fits into their their space. It's appropriate for the venue that they're in. It's consistent, but unique. Yeah. Yeah. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about 2020 through 2022 mm-hmm. COVID era. Trade shows weren't, exhibits weren't exactly popular during that time. Just a little bit of an impact maybe to your guys' yeah. business. Yes. And you guys showed me a, a little bit of a sneak peek of, I don't even know what to call it. I'm going to 3D experiences, digital experience yeah. for customers. Tell me a little bit about how you guys had to kind of pivot into that space and what that's meant for you guys moving forward. Well, we had just to talk about how we got into it. I can remember that (laughs) the the example that you saw was a booth that was going to be a physical booth Mm -hmm. that that was built and loaded on semi trucks, ready to go to the actual show was a big one. Was this in March of 2020? It was. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And I can remember I was in the office that day and I remember show canceled. Yeah. And then like pretty much everything else after that was canceled. And I just remember thinking like that was nine or 10 semis worth of stuff that just got built and produced and is, is going nowhere for the foreseeable future. Right. Yeah. And so from that point, I think, did we have two weeks or something before the show or, or something? Two weeks before they made it a virtual show. Oh, interesting. So we, we put pivot. the pedal to the metal. <laughs> yeah. The good news is, you know, to design that booth, we had to have some 3D renderings and things like that to even get it designed. So we had some things to work with, but we basically turned those 3D renderings into some 3D spaces. We added rooms and we added the database so that we could pull up content dynamically, product content dynamically. We added that sort of stuff into it and in that two-week period, we went from a physical show to a completely virtual show that looked exactly the same virtually wow. as it did. The only difference is the lights that were hanging above that were just floating in our digital experience where <laughs> we had to clarify like more, with a lot more of people. Behind the scenes magic. We're like, hey, just if you really want this booth, like there is rigging involved yeah. Like, yeah. In, everyone, in the real world. But yeah. So we pivoted pretty hard into virtual from there yeah. and the virtual and also hybrid experiences as it got a little bit later in 2021. It was a big thing for us creating virtual immersive experiences where you really felt like you're in the space and then incorporating it with that brand content and collateral. And that was how people were telling their story. And that's how trade shows became for a while. What's weird about it is it was a capability that we had, but we just didn't need to do it. Mm. Then all of a sudden we needed to do it. And then... Looking at it now, it's a capability that we have that we still often use because it's good for supplemental material. Right. So like you may still have the physical booth, but then you may also have a kiosk within that booth that 
shows some of that virtual stuff that we did. Plus the people who don't want to travel to a show have something, a way that they can participate and interact where they never had that before. They just maybe had a newsletter or, or oh, something. It's like a, a microsite that's specific to the event marketing event. side. And because, yeah. you know, your website, you tell your whole brand story. You have every feature, every product. You tell right. about everything you can do, full breadth and depth of what you can do. This, when you have an event, you need to focus on what are those, that main core message you want them to mm. walk away with. Maybe three other core pillar messages. And that's pretty much it because people can't retain a lot. And yeah. so this gives you a, a space to be able to show off those core things, do a deeper dive to if possible, but really focus on whatever those specific goals are. The old elevator pitch mentality mm-hmm. yeah. on yeah. some of that. But yeah. in a digital way. Yeah. yeah. And we iterated it into digital facility tours. I was going to say, yeah, what you guys showed me kind of the evolution yeah. of that. And that is, I feel like, a very cool way to explore a whole new market. Right. So the digital facility tours, instead of creating, well, you still could creating 3D mm-hmm. yeah. spaces, is actually using 3D photography. And Ben's actually been on site capturing said photography. So you can talk a little bit about the process there. Yeah. makes I it mean, different. Well, so... Like she said, it could be a virtual environment. It could be a physical environment. Sure. If it's physical, then somebody has to go there and get those photos, right? And get those panoramas that we're going to use. Right. But what it is, it's a whole lot of pre-production to plan out what's important. Again, it all yeah. comes back to like what's important. We've got a lot of facilities that I'm working with now that it takes planes, trains, and automobiles to get somebody there. Mm-hmm. And so some of these people, they just it's difficult to travel to these places. So what better than to have a virtual way to to vet potential customers or right. clients and, and be able to take them through a personalized tour. So we go in, we map out ahead of time all these vantage points that we want to cover. We work with potentially employees' schedules so that there's not a whole bunch of people running around in these photos at any given moment. And we coordinate that, we get our angles, and we move through the space in that way. Once it's all collected, typically we'll also shoot videos you know, special interest type videos within those spaces to highlight, like she said, something really important, little snippets of things, usually not more than 30 seconds, just to say, this is this awesome piece of equipment we have. Here's what it does and what it looks like. That's it. Move on to the next one. And we're able to bounce around a a whole facility and it could either be guided or self-guided. Most of the time it's guided. You've got somebody kind of walking people through. But it wouldn't have to be. But But you log into the same. It allows the guided tours. It's great because it's not like a Zoom call when you just screen share and all the quality degradation that happens when you do that, especially with video. You have none of that when you're both logging to this platform. Mm. And they're also able to take them from place to place. And this is great for companies where they have part of showing off their space is selling their products. So think about medical manufacturing right. facilities yeah. or you know any large scale manufacturer that have heavy equipment that you're trying to sell yeah. or different showrooms. Anytime you're selling kind of your space as part of your service, yeah. it'd be great because even post COVID, people are working differently. Yes. They're more remote, they're traveling less still often. So this really helps to enable that visit, that travel, yeah. and that sales tactic without actually having to physically be there. The, well, the virtual it. part yeah. of COVID yeah. wet people's whistle to the fact that, oh, I don't have to just, I don't yeah. always have to just go out to this place. It I almost created some more friction for yeah. potential buyers. And this is a way to like almost come back to lower the friction that was existing prior to COVID to see if that could be a potential option from a sales perspective. Right. I, I think that's genius. I love when difficult and unknown and unforeseeable circumstances 
help to push innovation. I feel like that's kind of what we're talking about. And it's, I don't know, I think it's fun. to. It seems like any real big innovations like in history tend to happen that way. Come out of turmoil. Yeah, Yeah. in some way. Yeah. I mean, when you get squeezed, that's usually when you have to show up. And I think that's a really cool story. Yeah, I think we're a better, more innovative, more diversified company out of COVID, Mm. 100%. That's really cool. Yeah. We'd all, everyone who works at the Hamilton would agree with that. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you, you guys sharing a little bit about kind of the core business, where you guys come from and kind of where you guys are at now. I think it's fascinating. I'm going to do one last call out. Any selfish plugs either for you guys? Like, is there something that you guys pulled out of the last few years for yourself? Or I don't know, what's been something that was unique for you guys through that period? For me, that period of time put me outside of a comfort zone. I don't know how many virtual calls I had ever been on. Like it was always just like, and now it's like, I was talking to the security guard on the, when I was getting ready to leave here to to come here. And he's like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to go to this place, put on some headphones and talk for an hour. And he goes, well, how's that different than what you do, right? What you always do. And I was like, good point, man. That's a really good point. point. There's no screen between us right now, Ben. Right. (laughs) That's that's amazing. I think for me as, and I'm in a marketing position and as a company who's, what they do day to day totally changes. It was Mm. a real challenge to pivot to selling ourselves differently, selling something new. So it really started as selling a new offering and making sure that that gets out there. But what's evolved is being, is coming out of COVID was saying that we're not a one trick pony. We don't just do one thing. Look at these other capabilities that we have, look at what else we can do and telling that story for ourselves. And so that's been a, really a challenge and something that we're still working on. But I think from what our clients have seen and what we have seen in new opportunities, it's been incredibly well received and it makes us a better value to our clients for sure. I love that. That's great. Thank you both so very much. You guys are awesome. Thanks for showing me your guys' office too. I got to come see it all in person. Thanks for showing us your office. Yeah. Anytime. Great. Thanks for having us.